Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow and say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't yet given us a five-star review, stop what you're doing. Pause this recording and please do so. Follow us on Twitter at at clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. Uh, and this here, here is my, my weekly in vain promise to make our accounts more interesting follows. But I feel like I might be lying a little less this week, Christopher, because as we'll get into in a bit in a moment, today was my last day of school as a teacher this summer, not including online kids, but that's um, much less of a burden. <laughs> I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Hey, Chris, how are you? Kirk, I'm doing great. Me too. It's been a busy, been a busy week, but busy day. I'm running from thing to thing, and I was late for this meeting, and, and it's, I, but, but uh, it's good. It's hot, and it's good. Yes, it, it, is, it is hot. It is hot. I, am, I, I was mowing and you can tell I, it was, I was mowing and I was active and it was hot because I am, shall we scandalize the listeners? I am podcasting shirtless. Now, I don't know how that'll affect our content, but, um, but, but there it is. There it is. I, I'm I think our listeners there. are pretty sophisticated. They, they can hear the difference. <laughs> the subtle acoustical effect in the room. Yes, yeah. there's there's slightly less cloth as my uh, my voice bounces off the the microphone. Um, yeah, so uh, you're you're busy but good, and it's hot. Um, and for you, and school's out for summer. Uh, are you going to use that as bumper music for us? I am not. Who is that? What, what's the song I, I'm thinking of? Is that like Motley Crue or no, something? No, it's or? Pink Floyd, isn't it? Is it okay? Yeah, well, I mean, we can Google that. I think it's Pink Floyd. And there there are, there's some Pink Floyd stuff that I love. And then there's some that's just like hippie garbage. And that's like, the hi- I, I tossed that one in the hippie garbage category. Al- Alice Cooper. Oh, Alice Cooper. Okay. Okay. You know what? I extend him more latitude. Um, what was the song about? Um, we don't need no education. Uh, in my head, I've like conflated those two. That's the Pink Floyd song. You don't know that one? I know that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 See, that's, that's a, but that is, that is a genuinely garbage hippie song. Right, it like is the Ru- it Rousseauian is Garden of Eden, where like right, education right. only miseducates you. Um, they obviously never had children, <laughs> and, and Rousseau like knows nothing about like uh, te- you know. I read his book. Is it like Emile or something? Emile. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's absurd. <laughs> right. It is like anti-education. Yeah. 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 Yes. Very true. Yeah. So it was my last day, and um, we had we waited with bated breath for the inevitable benevolent 
uh, email from our superintendent who, who, who I think wants to be appreciated as everyone anticipates that we'll be let out early. And um, because your contract think, stipulates that you stay until such and such yeah, time. Precisely, and, precisely. And, so, yeah. <laughs> right. And he, he did uh, shower his benevolence upon us and email us uh, a couple hours in advance and say we were out at two. So I was out at two. It was great. It was great. I, I think I took a, took a, like, a little selfie video uh, and I sent it to you like in the parking lot, kind of exultantly showing an empty parking lot at 2 p.m., which is a, a lovely thing to see it at school, you know, when you're, when you're leaving. Yeah. And, so and that's, that's kind of how it is too, is that like, e even as like two is like, you get to, you get to leave it too. Like you, the rule follower leaves it, leave it too. And no one else is there. Like they all left it. <laughs> they all left at noon. Right. Oh my gosh. There was like our speech therapist who is like a 58 year old total rule follower. She was like, had her, had her um, uh, like briefcase all neatly tidily. And she was sitting there um and the bench outside the office as i walked past and she's like he, she's like oh, only only four minutes i'm like uh-huh <laughs> walk, right, walk right by her yeah <laughs> to an empty parking lot it's like your car and hers <laughs> yeah yep exactly so i went out i, I did a unhaberman thing i did an uneconomic haberman thing and uh and with the team i went out for lunch i uh, had mexican for lunch it was great el paso it was lovely um, but I, I was supposed to carpool with our math teacher. Um, she was like, "Hey guys, uh, I brought I brought my mom minivan. <laughs> who wants who wants to ride with me uh, to uh, to the restaurant?" And I was like, "Oh, me, man." And I like texted a, a gif of road trip, and um, we were all excited. We were going to road trip there. And as I'm, I I walked out a certain exit, not actually the exit where she was parked, a different exit. Oh, because I had to go to my um. I had to go to my car to, to grab my wallet. Don't tell my wife that I still do that. She hates that. And uh, I grabbed my wallet and, and I see a student of mine who had just seen two hours before because students have an early dismissal on the last day. Uh, and he is laying, writhing on the ground in tears with like a bike beside him. And I go over and he's like, oh, Mr. Haberman, I dislocated my shoulder. And like, I help him up. And his shoulder looks like super dislocated. Um, and so I'm like, oh gosh, I'm not gonna say his name. And uh, let, let, let me help you. Let me, let me set your bike up. And here, can I, can I, do, do you mind if, I've, I, I've actually seen this done. I, I kind of know how this works. Do you mind if I kind of gently push in your shoulder and push it into place? I gather it goes back into place really, really easily. He's like choking back tears manfully. Like, yes, yes. So I do it. There was nothing like he was, he was fine. I don't, I don't understand. Um, and, uh, and, and like so, my phone, my phone in the meantime is blowing up in my pocket. You have a question. I, I'm just amazed that you're willing to help manipulate the joints of a, of a person. <laughs> Christopher, you've been a football coach before. Like you surely have like put fingers back into place that are like pointing 90 degrees in the wrong direction and stuff like uh, I actually haven't. Um, I, 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 am, I am a little bit squeamish about manipulating other people's joints. <laughs> so I, I, I come around the corner to uh, the, 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 the exit where we were going to rendezvous and from whence we were to leave. And, and the mom van is gone. And I look at my phone that had been blowing up. And they're like, oh, uh, we called you, Kirk. Uh, I gather you got another ride. They blew me off because I was a good Samaritan. So I made them feel bad, but 
but um, but 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 I did a good deed. Um, and just uh, what's what's funny about this, of course, is um, this student is brilliant. Um, he's very smart, um, but 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 he is dramatic and obviously seeks attention in um, in, in 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 interesting and creative ways. And and I I had you know thought two hours ago. I love this batch of kids, but they are in my rearview mirror. And just as I was striding away, a cold hand reaches up from beneath the sod and grabs my foot and causes me to be late for lunch. You're not done yet. You are not done yet with us, right? Yeah. So that was my interesting day, but I don't know, man. I, uh, my, um, my theme, right? Do you know the Queen song, Don't Stop Me Now? The lyrics are actually, in some ways, not anti-Christian, but like, it's very materialistic and um, Epicurean. You don't know it? Don't stop me now having a good time. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I know that one, yeah. But that's that's been my mood. That's been my mood. Man. Okay. Don't stop me now having a good time. So that's my mind space. But you and I, because of all our events today, are running on a, on a limited time frame. So we have some urgency. Um, uh, and another man who had urgency as he wrote his gospel was uh, St. Mark. And uh, we get the chance now that it's ordinary time to return back to St. Mark's um, account of the gospel, right? Indeed. This week's gospel reading comes from Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called to them and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your brother... Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here 
are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So yes, Kirk, we, as you mentioned, are back, are jumping back into the Gospel of Mark. Way back in December when we started year B, in the lectionary, uh, we talked about how year B is largely the Mark year. And now that we're in ordinary time, or this season after Pentecost, we are right back. We're thrown back into Mark, and we're going to mark march sequentially, um, bit by bit through Mark for, for uh, the next several months. And so uh, scribes down from Jerusalem join the chorus of critics, and, and they're saying... Um, that how that Jesus casts out demons by the power of of uh, of Beelzebul, and um, but first, first we kind of jump in in the middle of this passage. Um, you know, if 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 you have an ESV like I have, uh, verse twenty is the last two verses of this uh, passage that's, that's called the twelve apostles, where um, he appointed the twelve. And we get that list. And then um, from there, it says, he went home. Okay. And the, cr- um, and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And when his family. And so there's a little bit of dispute uh, whether or not um, there are a lot of pronouns uh, <laughs> in, in the, the original text. And so th- there is some bit of uh, ambiguity as to sometimes who is, who is talking about. And so the ESV tries to faithfully say he, 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 because um, clearly we're talking about Jesus. Jesus was the one who went home, right? Um, and so we jump from the, the third person singular to the third person pl- plural so that they could not even eat. Um, and so they faithfully, um, uh, when it's clear who, who it's talking about, um, but there is some ambiguity as to whether his his family is is uh, talking about Jesus here. Um, so, like some interpreters say, yeah, like his his family is hearing him talk, and they are not on board. You know, clearly later we know that his mother um, is on board, um, and we know that uh, his brother uh, J- James um, is clearly on board. The book of uh, of James, uh, James the Just. Um, he wrote the book of James, and we see him in Acts as the bishop of Jerusalem. Uh, and so we know that um, his brother. And we talked a little bit last year about um, disagreement whether or not this is his half brother, right? This is Joseph's son from another marriage, or whether in fact Mary uh, had other children from Joseph, uh, the father. Because uh, we don't get any mention um, beyond uh, being there uh, at Jesus' birth. We don't hear about Joseph again. Uh, in, in the gospels. So uh, we don't know if he's, if he's dead, if he was an old man who brought kids to this marriage or um, if uh, he mothered other, or if he mothered, he fathered, <laughs> other, he, he, he fathered and mothered all sorts of children. But, but uh, clearly what Jesus preached was radical and perhaps even too radical for his own parents. So that's what we see in, in verse 21. Um, so the crowds are gathering around him early in his ministry and um, perhaps even his family kind of rejected his teaching. And so scribes come down from Jerusalem and they say he's possessed by Beelzebul. And so, you know, this name Beelzebul, uh, it, it's, it's like with, it's within a letter of, of, uh, of having a literal meaning of, 
of something. I forget what it was. I didn't write it down. Um, but what this, what likely this is, is like a, like arch demon kind of. Um, so not, uh, you know, Satan, but like a powerful demon who perhaps has, has been named. Um, the people would have called him Beelzebul. And, and he's like, this prince of the demons, this sort of this royalty, this hellish royalty, perhaps. Um, uh, he's accused of casting out demons because he is possessed by a demon. And Jesus points out the incongruity of this. And I think I mentioned this last week, Kirk. Uh, I don't remember the context, but um, he's like, this doesn't make any sense. How can Satan cast out Satan? A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And then he uses this uh, as a teaching opportunity. And, and it's kind of an odd teaching opportunity right um because he talks about a thief right like if you're gonna be if you're gonna successfully rob someone's house and not just anyone's house a strong man's house number one what do you got to do kirk uh you got to get rid of the strong man yeah you gotta tie him up (laughs) and so let me ask you kirk in this parable who's the strong man All right, so All right, let me ask you this. You, who is who is Jesus in the parable? You uh, you caught me uh, researching Beelzebul. <laughs> right. Okay. Sorry, so, it was a busy so, day. I, I if I would have had more time, like there are a couple explanations. One is that it, there's a literal meaning um, that it's similar to uh, I forget what it is, but but uh, we'll get to your research in a second. <laughs> Tell me. Um Binding a strong man. Who is Jesus in this in this example? Uh, well, okay, so uh, I, I always interpreted this as uh, the strong man is Satan. Right, and so okay. it's G, it's Jesus who is the thief, right? Right. Okay. So, so like, oh, G, G, I see what you're saying. Right. Jesus' examples are yeah. kind of are kind of goofy to the modern ear because right. like flipped on their head. Yeah. Right. So, but but he's saying, I've come into the world that um, we've talked about this in a theological sense before, how like the world has, because of sin, the world has sort of been given over to Satan, right? Right. And so the But with Christ's birth and Christ's work on earth, this is slowly being undone. And of course he's defeated, um, as Martin Luther, I believe said, um, the, 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 uh, the devil has little, been defeated, has been defeated. One word shall fell him. No, no. Well, he's, yeah, that's in <laughs> Sorry. the famous Sam. But, but he said uh, the, the, the dragon has been slain, but the but the tail is still sw- uh, twitching. Yes. yes. Um, and so, like, there there's a sense of, of of him already being defeated with Christ's death and resurrection, but he still works in the world. Uh, but but essentially, it's over. But we the results of sin are still in the world. And Jesus is, is kind of explaining this: how like I have broke because of the kingdom that Jesus brought. He has broken into the house and he has bound the strong man. And so I guess to apply that to our lives, in essence, we, you know, we talk about how um, it, Paul talks about in Romans, how um, we no longer live in the dominion of sin, you know, that like in Christ, we have this new life that we, we are no longer slaves to this because like Satan has been defeated. And so there is hope for us in the midst of, of sin and temptation. And thus the metaphor of pilgrims in a foreign land, as we read mm-hmm. in Hebrews, right? Uh, we have no present kingdom, but we, we, we seek the city to come. I'm like mixing translations. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially he's, he's saying like, this is what, this is the work that I'm doing in the world is that I've bound up uh, the devil. And, um, 
and and like uh, evil is being defeated. Okay, then moving into the, the next passage. So there's three kind of distinct passages. Yeah. And, and this one we talked about last year because this is in Matthew. Um, and uh, it's, it's <laughs> I remember when we had Christina Hitchcock on, um, we talked about how anti-family Jesus is in, in some senses and how it's just in contrast to like uh, focus on the family and, you know, all, all these things that like ministries that, that are, like families are good things, but right. but Jesus uh, is in fact like this would have been a shocking thing for the original hearers because like the the family was the ultimate thing back then that like um, fidelity to you know to father right. and to brothers and right. and this and that and, and Jesus is well, essentially and saying, in the Roman world the word piety um, mm-hmm. means faithfulness to your forefathers right that was um. Um, it's, so it's not just a Jewish thing. It would have been the entire known Mediterranean world. It was a, it was an enormous priority. Yep. Yeah. And, and yet Jesus, when he calls his disciples, he asks them to leave everything and to follow him. Right. And, and this is kind of the same thing that like, uh, you you might have to leave some things behind you to, to follow Jesus. And, um, there is a profound, a profound gift in, in the faith, in this new kingdom is, um, that we have this uh, new family in Christ, right? That we say that water is thicker than blood in Christianity. And when we talk about um, the beautiful Psalm that says uh, that, that Christ or that God makes the, the barren into mothers. Uh, I don't remember which mm. Psalm that is, uh, but it's a beautiful Psalm um, about God's work. Um, some of that is, 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 physically true that women who have barren wombs, that God um, heals them and makes them, uh, fruitful wombs but also like in the church um we have many children and we have many fathers and mothers um so those who uh their fathers and mothers have died or those who have fathers and mothers who are abusive in in christ in the church we have many spiritual fathers and mothers and those who are barren who who um you know last month we had mother's day and um i I would say that the church is kind of split on this. There's a small splinter that's like, well, we got to honor mothers because like they want to be honored and like they expect (laughs) that. But many people are like, no, don't even mention it. Don't say it. It's not that we don't want to honor mothers, but there's a profound pain of those who wish they were mothers. And like to, for, for um, women to be pointed out, like, and, and honor it as mothers is is profoundly painful for for people who have either lost children or are no longer mothers for people who have estranged children for people who are never given the gift of children it's just it's just a hard thing and i have uh, an unre- i have an unrelated allergy to celebrating mother's day in church which mm. is something we've talked about this before um uh making uh the christian calendar and the christian rhythms subservient to the rhythms of this world yeah um yeah. And that, and that's often, especially like you and I have seen when Mother's Day butts up against a lot of these spring feasts, Pentecost um, or Ascension, um, you'll see like that, that'll get nary a mention. People, um, churches will change the lessons around <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Really well, and, and, and frequently what they'll have is they'll have mothers stand or given flowers and honor. Right. Um, and I've heard many people recommend against that. They're like that, that's, that's um, hurtful and, and inappropriate. Um this year we didn't mention it. Uh, th- there are times when I have mentioned it uh, at various parts of the service. I've, I've also mentioned, like I only, if I ever mention it, I mention it in the context of, 
Yeah, like, you know, yeah. Um, we love mothers, but we also love uh, people who, who love to be mother, who wish they were mothers um, and, and have not. And, and we want to give voice to that pain. And um, we want to, and then I point out that in Christ that, that we have, like those who have not had physical children, that they have many children. Yeah. Hey, do you notice um, our new litany in the 2019 Book of Common Prayer does a really good job addressing that there? Um, I think there's uh, one particular um, prayer in the litany that, that, that really poignantly addresses that. Um, those who those who have been uh, mm. the parenthood has been who desire parenthood and from whom parenthood has mm. not been given to whom parenthood has not been given mm. yeah and I, and I love that that was not I mean a, a Cranmerian edition but that is recognizing that um, like the inability to root children is, is a great pain for many couples but so Kirk while while we're discussing this I it occurred to me that I I did write down this um, Beelzebul yeah so so Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies, and that appears in, in the Latin Vulgate, um, yeah. St. Jerome's trans, translation of uh, the New Testament in, yep. uh, into, Gre- into Latin from Greek, but it's not in any of the Greek manuscripts. So, so the Beel is like a Hebrew, um, like, a, like a slander of, not slander, but like usage of the, uh, the Philistine god Baal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which... Um, the Jews kind of called um, like Lord of the Flies or Lord of the Dung, basically like poop God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is, do I have that wrong? Uh, I, I I don't know because okay. my information <laughs> says, so Beelzebul probably means Lord of the house referring to an old Canaanite deity. And okay. so the reference to a house divided is a pun on the name, Lord of the house. Right. And it's, it's pointing yeah. out like that, that it's, so it's kind of a pawn, but also like these demons can't be like, if they're fighting against each other, it doesn't really make sense. Right, 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 right. I mean, that's the point that Jesus is making. Um, but, but I think the, the Hebrew pun, and now this is three degrees of separation because yeah. my wife who took a Bible class from a Hebrew teacher in college said one of that guy, the only profanity he used the entire semester was in translating this from Hebrew. <laughs> And it was Lord, uh, like she, she, her imitating men is always funny, but her imitating old men is really funny. So she was like, she used like a creaky old man voice. And she's like, it means Lord of the bleep pile, but he would actually say it and enjoy it. I think in his like old Christian professor way, scandalizing his uh, earnest reformed students. But, but I, I don't know how reliable I am again, because there are degrees of separation there. Like, yeah, but it's a fun story. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also derailed your rhythm. So, um, you, so back to you. No, 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 I was done. Let's hear your thoughts, Kirk. Uh, so I have some, some more meta, more cosmic, uh, observations, which, Oh, is... you, you don't have like questions that you want to demand on the spot for me to answer for you. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I, I feel as if I have, I've failed you in, um, uh, coming up with unexpected questions to pin you down in places that you didn't anticipate. And um, if, uh, as, as I toss something back to you, I can come up with on, on the, one on the fly if you'd like. No, but seriously, uh, I, was, I was marveling at, uh, sometimes the lectionary um, does a great job, um, like, a, like stained glass or like a gem or a kaleidoscope, holding up, holding different passages up to the light and uh, refracting certain themes out of it. 
And so I had, I had read and kind of thought on and meditated on this gospel first, and then decided to go and look at uh, the Old Testament lesson and the New Testament lesson, which the, the pairing is less obvious, uh, but, but then the Psalm. So the Old Testament lesson and the Psalm pairing are, are quite profound, and it brings out a certain aspect of this, this, these three pericopes. So let me say what they are instead of just alluding to them. Uh, the Old Testament lesson is Genesis 3, uh, which Genesis 3, it's what, 1 through 21. Yeah, so this is uh, um, the fall, right? This is now the serpent, serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field, right? And this is the Lord walking in the cool of the garden, and Adam and Eve are hiding, and uh, this is the curse. So um, in our liturgy, Christopher, the Old Testament lesson always comes first, all right? And then the psalm, and then a New Testament lesson, then a sequence hymn, and then the gospel, which is really the climax of the liturgy of the word, mm -hmm. um, kind of the, the 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 first third of the um, of the service. And then if we we want to consider the sermon, maybe the pivot point, or maybe it's part of the well, sir, sermon the point. The sermon right. is part of the, ser yeah. the service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, and anyhow. Uh, so what was I saying? I, I got distracted because my, my beautiful daughter just walked in and is mouthing inscrutable things to me. Uh, so the, uh, the Psalm is Psalm 130, Christopher, which is uh, an amazing Psalm, the De Profundis, out of the depths have I called unto you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. So let your ears consider well the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, were to mark what is done amiss, O Lord, who could abide it? For there is mercy with you, therefore you shall be feared. Right? So this Sunday, we're going to hear the story of our fall and the curse, the just curse as a result of our fall. And then we will pray this psalm together corporately, right? <laughs> Let your ears consider well the voice of my supplication. Out of the depths have I called to you, right? Like just justly in our sinfulness, as we live um, in a world ruled by the Lord of darkness, right? Uh, Beelzebul right? Um, it's his house as, as Jesus is sort of commenting, right? He's, or he's the strong man, not it's his house. He's the strong man in the house. Well, Beelzebul Jesus, isn't. Um, Beelzebul is considered like this prince right. of demons, right. but, like distinct from like Satan. the devil yeah. himself. Yeah. The but one Jesus who, who is calls the Satan. Yeah. Right. The he's, yes. He is yeah. the, uh, the, the, the action hero in Mark's gospel that is coming to bind the strong man. Um, and so, uh, it, it, it really, um, sets it up well. And, uh, I was wondering, I, I, I think I told you, I was like, what, oh, oh man, I'm excited to hear what Christopher's going to say. And I think um, this lesson in the context of a worship service, in the full liturgy of the word, um, it all comes together, together in a lovely way. We, we, hear, we hear again the tale of our fall. Um, and then we pray, out of the depths I cry to you. Um, and then we'll sing a hymn. <laughs> and, uh, and then we'll hear Jesus come and say, I'm coming to bind the strong man. And um, so in the context of those, the, the, these lessons and the psalm, that's really good news. That is great news. Um, and then, and then uh, there's the pivot to that last item, which you, you said, and I had, I had shared, Christopher, in our notes, um, the who are my father and mother, here are my brother, mother and brothers. Um, and it's just striking to me how Jesus casts the church as our true family, our final family, and so this isn't to pit the church against our family, um, but I think it can be consolation for us when our family hurts us or wounds us, when there are schisms, separations, 
deaths, um, that it isn't as if our fam we, we, we are born, we have a family, we have happy memories, and then our family slowly disintegrates, which is one way of experiencing life, um, but rather that we are grafted into um, a family in which we will be perfectly loved, and we are adopted by the, the true king. And um, so I think that is, that is really good news for, uh, for miserable sinners. Yeah, Kirk. What is miserable sinners? That that word has changed considerably. What does it mean to be a miserable sinner? Are are we unhappy all the time as sinners? I was. You and I didn't talk about this. I was just looking this week at a glossary of the 1662 Book of Common mm. Prayer. Um, so that phrase, and it's actually miserable offenders, which is in the uh, the Cranmerian language, the Elizabethan language, um, uh, in the prayer of humble con not, not humble confession the prayer of confession for morning prayer and evening prayer and miserable meant um pitiable mm -hmm. right so it didn't describe our emotional uh state right like oh i'm miserable i have a cold sniffle sniffle right um but rather it described that we are to be pitied and we do have a lord who pities us we are offenders that are pitied that are in, in need of mercy yeah yeah yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's not like, oh, we're, we're sad. It's, it's that like, we are um, in need of God doing something. Jesus yeah. did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Um, yeah. So, so that was the, that was the full extent of, of my, my, uh, my, my thoughts on the matter. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I deeply apologize for, uh, for, for really not bringing my A game. <laughs> Shall we move on to our theology segment? Let's move on to our theology segment. Today, for our theology segment, we are talking about the Gloria Patri. And of course, because I'm a little pretentious, okay, maybe more than a little pretentious, I love a chance to have a segment titled in Latin. Gloria Patri just means glory be to the Father. And it's shorthand for uh, um, a phrase that um, we as Christians, we as liturgical Christians, and particularly we as Episcopal or Anglican Christians um, pray, say, or sing all the time um, throughout our, our cycle of prayer and worship and fellowship together. And it goes like this, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Um, and sometimes you'll see, depending upon the prayer book or the hymnal, um, you'll see Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. Um, uh, this is sometimes called the minor doxology uh, because it's, uh, it's, it's shorter than kind of the doxology 
um, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here below. That, um, that and that would things. be, that would be the doxology. Um, but, uh, the, the, you know, it, we contrast that for the layperson, for the sake of the layperson, I'm explaining this. Um, there, there are lots of doxologies. Um, yes. doxology is, what does it mean, praise, Christopher? Per, per, it's, it's praise <laughs> to God. Um, and, and so, uh, we might point, uh, I think in our, when, in our hymns, uh, as we've discussed hymns that like oftentimes ancient or, or older hymns will end with a Trinitarian doxology of, of just yeah. like glory to God in this, in this way, in that way. And, yeah. and we see in, in epistles, oftentimes them close with the doc, you know, mm-hmm. glory to God. And, um, I had the one just, just in my head and it just came in and went out, um, who, who, who gives more than we ask or imagine. Ask or imagine yeah. 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 That's my son's favorite. He's like, dad, mm. can we do that one? Cause it's the great. default, cause the default ending is um, the one from Corinthians um, in the grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy spirit be with us now and evermore. Um, which of course that's Trinitarian as well. Right. So mm-hmm. again, I draw my beat Christopher, but the Trinity is not in the Bible. Right. Yeah. You're right. I mean, St. Paul um, certainly um, kind of climaxes and closes his letters yeah um, with a trinitarian doxological is that a word can you make it adjective yeah yeah <laughs> a doxological um, word of grace uh yeah doxology so so here's just a little uh, uh linguistics um logi is just word of logos is word so anytime you see that like any anything that ends with that suffix logi just word and and what is it doxa doxa means praise so just word of praise or words of praise that's that's the etymology there right mm-hmm. anyhow um this thing uh you'll notice is what we use at the beginning of our podcast right it, we there's a musical setting i think it's um the robert smith uh setting Ooh, which the is great the great uh, vikings running back from the Ohio, Ohio State, State <laughs> University. <Yeah. laughs> um, sadly, uh, he is a multi-talented man uh, who is going to go to med school, um, um, but but not not um, oddly enough a 16th century late Renaissance English composer of English church music. Um, it was a different Robert Smith, whose whose music I I, I love. So I, I I use his setting. <laughs> um, so this Gloria Patri, Christopher, it occurs after every canticle that we do in um, in morning and evening prayer yep. in morning and evening prayer uh, uh such as the daily psalms um and perhaps our listener has noticed that if you're if you go to an anglican or a lutheran or a catholic church um you won't get the gloria patri after a psalm on a sunday and that was once explained to me and i've since forgotten the explanation <laughs> So if you remember that, Christopher, perhaps I don't, can, I don't You know. can ex- explain that to us. And in fact, it's, it's interesting that we just end the psalm, you know, where right. uh, after the first and second reading, we say the word of the Lord. And after right. we read the gospel, we say the gospel of the Lord, yeah. praise to you, Lord Christ. Um, we just end the psalm. And we've had uh, lay readers who are kind of converts <laughs> to Anglicanism who, who love, who love that, that, that response so much, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, who've said that after, um, after the psalm. And like, the, the inner Anglican Pharisee in me is like huffing and puffing. But then like in retrospect, I realized like that, that is so great that they understand um, kind of the, the, the rhythm and the power of that pronouncing mm. and giving thanks. This is God's word. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, and, and he said it with like, 
with con gusto. He said it exciting, like mm, the word of the Lord. Yeah. So, mm. um, but yeah, we, we say it after every Psalm. Um, and Christopher, um, would you say Psalms are a big part of morning and evening prayer? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. You, you do either a 30 or 60 day cycle. So <laughs> right in a month or in two months yeah. through the entirety of the 150 Psalms. Yeah. So, so uh, um, the, by the time you reach the Gloria Patri, the sinful part of you is really glad to reach the Gloria Patri because it means you're done with about eight minutes worth of psalmody, right? <laughs> yeah, and we say it after every canticle. Um, uh, with the exception, I, I should say, I wrote this down, Christopher, in our notes. It's not true. We don't say at the end of the Te Deum, um, let me never be confounded. The Te Deum actually has a really interesting ending, which we talked about that. That's a, another conversation for another time but all the other canticles um the song of simeon um lord now let us thou thy servant depart in peace uh, the magnificat the song of mary my soul doth magnify the lord uh the song of zechariah O lord now let thy spirit uh, thy servant now depart in peace according to thy word um all those the false hilaron yes the false hilaron yeah all of those we end with the gloria patri um and so uh to further abuse of metaphor that I constantly abuse. Um, this really creates grooves in our souls, um, prayed constantly. And it, it has the power, I think, to shape and form um, our prayer. Uh, I also, as Christopher, I, I was thinking about this and reading about this a little bit. I forgot if I, let me, tr let me track back. Let me circle back to something because I don't know if I said it, Christopher. Okay. Um, did I say this? Uh, this, this topic came to me because we were in the shadow of Trinity Sunday. I don't know, I, I don't know if I said this while we were recording. Just say it, just say it. Show. Okay, <laughs> um, so last Sunday was Trinity Sunday and we talked about it and I love talking about it and I, I bang the drum of the Trinity any day of the week and I'll continue banging it. Um, but it's, this is a good time to consciously acknowledge uh, the Gloria Patri's emphasis, emphasis on the Godhead's triune personhood. So like this past week, you know, if you've prayed morning or evening prayer and you've said or sung or prayed silently the Gloria Patri, um, probably have Trinity Sunday lurking in the back of your head. And so it's great. It's a great time to reflect. Great time to reflect on this. Uh, so I had a couple of points, Christopher, I wanted to make. Number one, uh, what, is the, what is the purpose? of the Gloria Patri. That is why. Why are we doing this constantly, all the time, at minimum, at least three times um, when we pray morning prayer and pray evening prayer. So at minimum six times a day. Uh, number one, it brings a canticle or a psalm to a close, right? It's a, in some ways a climax. Uh, and as you, you pointed out, following St. Paul's pattern, um, when he brings a, a letter or an exhortation to a close, um, uh, number two, the purpose is it declares what the canticle was about. The canticle was to praise and worship the triune God. Glory, not just to the Father, but to the Son. Not just to the Father and to the Son, but to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then we have this mystical formulation. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen. And I want to just pause here and point out um, something. There is a, a regnant view of history that we've naturally inherited as Americans, and it's called the Whig view of history. Are you familiar with, with this, Christopher? No. Um, 
it's the view that um, history kind of continued. And, and, and here's the problem with errant hermeneutics or errant worldviews. Um, they stick, they have stickiness because they contain a good deal of truth in them. So the Whig view of history, W-H-I-G, <laughs> referring to particular political philosophical viewpoint um, from the 18th and 19th century, um, not W-I-G, like this wasn't something that people in powdered wigs like to say in posh accents in London parlors. <laughs> the Whig view of history says that history um, petered along uh, with, with very little um, innovation or, or new things until uh, some point in the 18th century when you have the Enlightenment and the rise of reason and science uh, and Newton, and then you have the Industrial Revolution, uh, and then you have modernity which takes off and everyone had lived under, on under $2 a day, and that actually is true, that's an interesting fact until some point in 1830 in London and Manchester and Birmingham and New York and Boston. Uh, and, and that spreads very quickly. And then uh, enlightenment, education and wealth begin to spread around the world and things are now getting better. Uh, and um, this we confess as Christians, something else, which is we have a God who was and is and is to come and human events are fleeting and pale in his light and in his truth. And um, so we, we have a cosmology, a view of the universe um, that says, instead of um, all, of, all, all of the world lived in crushing poverty until some point in the 1830s, and now things are getting, as the Beatles say, um, what's that song in uh, uh, Sgt. Pepper's? You have to admit it's it's not you have to admit it's getting better, getting better all the time. Do you know the song? Mm -hmm. I'm like all about like boomer music. This <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we got Queen and the Beatles. I've got to admit it's getting better. It's something like that. Do you know this? Do you know this song? Anyway, yes, this is like yes, it's yes. the wig, it's the wig view of history, right? Um, and as Christians, we say something else, which we have the uh, you might call it the Ozymandias view of history. You familiar with the Percy Shelley uh, poem, Ozymandias? Um, and we say um, that as it was in the beginning, is now, mm. and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Um, we have a God who spoke the cosmos into being, right? Like you and I, Christopher, contain stardust. Uh, the metals in our body can only be created when certain size stars go supernova and explode and create certain heavy metals, right? Like, I don't want to make stuff up because I'm not a scientist, but it's like nickel and other things like, like the metals that um, allow us to have our, our life and, and be neutral, um, they give plants nutrients and we eat the plants and we eat the animals, they eat the plants and all of that is the result of stardust, right? We are the result of supernovas. So we have a God who spoke that previous star <laughs> that supernova uh, some untold years ago, we that spoke that into the be into being, right? So our view is 
as it was in the beginning is now and never shall be like that is the God that we worship and we adore and we will someday stare in um, stare at his triune face in glorious beauty and wonder forever as we cast our crowns before him. So in some ways, this confesses to us the anti-Whig view of history. All right, I have Ozymandias up by Percy Shelley. Oh my gosh, you guys are getting some crazy stuff um, today. I, 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 I'm excited and then I drank coffee and so I'm high energy here. All right, so here's Ozymandias, Christopher. You ready? I'm ready. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. Right, okay, so, so I met a traveler from an antique land. Okay, so like, picture the Sahara in Northern Africa, right? And the Sahara, this traveler um, is telling Percy Shelley, yeah, so I was traveling in this desert and I come across this ancient rune and it's these two massive legs of stone and the trunk has been knocked off and near them, then I find on the sand, like half sunk into the sand, like a shattered um, like visage, uh, an image of his face. And that face has a fr its frown and his, and his lip is wrinkled in a sneer of cold command. And um, its, sculpture did a, its sculpture did a great job of sculpting like this, this, this um, cold, cruel um, Machiavellian ruler of a vast empire, right? Okay, so back to the poem. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias. King of kings, look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. So that's what the pedestal says. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. It is a stunning, shocking reminder that the monuments of the greatest empires this world will ever see will one day be just half sunk into a desert somewhere. And some traveler may at some point come along and read the inscription and look around for further evidence of the greatness of that civilization and find none except a vast wasteland. But in the meantime, um, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. That is our Trinity. So I took a long time to make that point, but. Um, <laughs> I think that's a very profound point, Christopher. Um, I have one more point I wanted to make about the Gloria Patri, but um, I have been really monologuing. So I want to kind of toss it back to you and invite you to, to comment. You surely have some thoughts and observations at this point. I do. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> that's a little bit of airplane humor. Yes, Mel Brooks humor. If, yeah. if we're, if air, airplane. Uh, yeah, not Mel Brooks, yeah. Yes, you're right. So if we're going to do full boomer stuff, let's do Airplane. Um, uh, I mean, Kirk, you're doing a good job of unpacking this. Uh, let me just give a just random bit of trivia. It's it's interesting 
how many things in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, you may be like, well, why, why are these named this way? It's, it's convention in the Roman Catholic Church to name things with just like the first couple words of that, uh, of that document itself. Yes. So they don't, they don't call it the Lord's Prayer. They call it the Our Father, you know, yep. like, and, and so different parts of the Mass are named after the beginning words. So like, glory be to the Father is, is in Latin, glory patri. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, when a pope writes an encyclical, right. um, the encyclical is titled like the first two words of, uh, or first several words of that, uh, essentially like this. Right. It, it's an encyclical it is like a, a shorthand. Yeah, a shorthand. Yeah, but I mean, it's not titled. Um, and I don't know. Maybe that goes out, goes back to like um, the Old Testament in in Hebrew. Uh, the Hebrew names of each one are just the the first few words of that uh book so like the the exodus um we call it exodus which means a going out but exodus the first few words are and these are the names <laughs> um and that's oh, i think yeah. I, I believe that's what hebrews uh what i what jews call it in the torah is and these are the names like they just call it refer to it as the first letters so um this is kind of an interesting thing that uh protestants they say the lord's prayer um catholics say our father and it's just a different naming convention and we've retained some of that paternoster yeah the potter yeah <laughs> i mean that's that's what they call it yeah um so um in in, in the latin mass uh i mean i i'm sure you're going to talk about this but uh we <laughs> a friend of mine has criticized chris tomlin's who doesn't actually write his own lyrics? Louis Giglio does, but that, <laughs> but that, um, but that his his uh, worship songs are too father centric, and I, I do think there is a and, sense. Am I the you're talking about? Uh, it's not you. <laughs> I would say you. Uh, so someone else I know, <laughs> okay, mutual okay. acquaintance of ours, <laughs> okay, a former pastor of yours. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, complained that they're too father centric, um, and I don't know uh, how much him compared to other contemporary writers, how much that would be borne out. But um, much of the, the, I think there is either the spoken or unspoken notion um, that like the father is the one we praise. Um, right. Just as we pray to the, like, so it is true that we pray to the father um, in the name of the son through the Holy spirit. That is true. But then like, I think is ex- extrapolated in the in the unconscious minds of some to be that well okay well we would praise the father but then we don't really know what to do with the son or the holy spirit but <clears throat> but uh this gives us a pattern uh these grooves in our soul that you talk about uh, this uh, the sense that we um we praise not only the father but the son and the holy spirit and um that that that's a that's a good thing for us to we talk about Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, that um, our theology is our prayer. And so as we learn to pray and we pray these, these prayers and these doxologies, we, as we praise God, we learn to praise God. And as we learn to praise God by praising the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, um, that, that helps our prayer life, that, that um, all three persons of the Trinity are, are, are people that we pray to. Um, and so I, I have a friend who's a priest who um, he... he uh, depending on your diocese, you get to name your church plant. Um, and he got to ch- name his uh, Church of the Trinity, or, or was it Trinity Anglican Church? Anyway, um, and, he th- and he, there's always a, a reason behind the name. And um, he, he, you know, oftentimes people who 
do the naming, they love to explain it. And he would explain how uh, the God is triune and, and, and that we can um, pray to the father. We can pray to the son. We can pray to the spirit that like um, that uh, it, it emphasizes the importance of understanding the Trinity, both as threeness and as, as oneness. Yeah. Um, I, I also, uh, so I was, I was looking Christopher at, um, I was t- taking your, your, your father centric point mm. and, um, I was looking at, uh, the, um, the, the original formulation for us in the Catholic, like in the Western church, right. The, the, the like the, the Western Catholic tradition, not, not the, um, the Orthodox tradition. Right. And, um, uh, so I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the, the the Latin right so so what would have been prayed you know in churches a thousand years ago um, and glory uh, so here where where do I have it oh Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto sicut erat in principo et nunc et semper so right um, our translation is actually really really good um, sicut erat in principo as it was in principo right the like the first in the beginning yeah. in the beginning yep. At nunc, right? Um, now, right? We know that nunc dimittis, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace. At semper, you probably know that from um, the the uh, Marines, uh, semper fidelis, uh, always faithful, right? Uh, et in secula, seculorum, amen. But it's interesting, the sicut erat in principo, which we now take it to mean as it was in the beginning, um, seems to have originally meant as he was in the beginning, which, oh my gosh, that echoes the, um, the mm. opening of John's prologue, doesn't mm. it? Mm. In the beginning was the word. So again, like further saturated it with Trinitarian theology. So um, I, just, I just love that. And there are some, there are some times where, where our translations are clunky or are weird from, um, from the Latin mass. Like the, the, to me, the, the one that always makes me smile is the Lord be with you and with your spirit. And like, so people who are new to um, Anglicanism uh, or I, I gather that uh, post-Benedict, um, the, the, the Novus Ordo in uh, the Roman Catholic Church has gone back to and with your spirit. I don't know. As opposed know. to. And so also they, with you. Yeah. The 1979 prayer book went and also with you, which is just and- that makes more sense. Right, right. But it's not so a translation the, of the right, Latin. Right, the translation <laughs> and with your spirit. And so we had to decide as a church, are we going to be a and with your spirit church or and also with you? And we opted for and also with you um, simply because that's something we say. You yeah. know, I don't say Kirk. It's actual your, human speech. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kirk, how's your, how's your spirit today? Like, if you're like, how are you? I'm like, I'm good. And how? How about your spirit? You know, that's not a <laughs> right. that's not a thing we say to each other, and and so our, our prayer book has has it says right. it can be substituted with right. and also with you, right? And the the but in the Latin mass that Cranmer was translating the serum rite was et cum spirito tuo, right? Yeah. Which sort of means like and with your soul, your essence, yeah, your, yeah, yeah, your yeah, being, yeah. yeah, yeah, which is profound, but it just doesn't. It's it not a dualistic thing. It's not. It's yeah. not like well, you're, there's your body and then <laughs> yeah. there's your spirit. Yeah. No, it's it just not doesn't that. come out in English. But the Gloria Patri does. Yeah. It does, and it just sings. Which brings me to my last point, Christopher. <laughs> Singing the Gloria Patri, um, I, th- I think it's important that in our life of worship, um, uh, if at all possible, we should be in places at times where this is a thing that's sung. 
Um, even if you feel dorky, you know, in your, in, with your family, uh, create a pattern where you can do it. Um, and the reason, Christopher, I say that, um, this rendering of glory unto the triune God, I think it presupposes the presence of song, certainly in morning and evening prayer. Um, I and I say that because the, the canticles, I think, are meant to be sung probably when mm -hmm. they can be. Mm -hmm. um, and and the pre I think our whole morning prayer presupposes that, Christopher, because we begin after the opening uh, praises and responses, every morning prayer with uh, Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord and show ourselves glad in him with psalms, right? That is the thing that kicks off our morning prayer. In some ways, it kind of presupposes um, that, that, that this is a thing that, that gets sung. Um, so I think singing is central, not peripheral to the act of glorifying the Trinity. Um, it's the act of lifting up the Lord's name, which is verbiage that's used in the New Testament, right? Um, it's a priestly act that involves the mm -hmm. priesthood of all believers. And, you know, I'm thinking here of first Peter, um, chapter two. Yeah. Where Peter wrote, um, Lord, I lift your name on high. That that's the, that's the one. Yep. <laughs> and then my last point, Christopher, the Holy spirit is worthy of praise too. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned this, right? The, the accidental father centricness of a lot of modern praise music, um, the Holy Spirit is not, and we've taught, we talked about this during Pentecost. It's not just a tool or an aid in worship, um, something that we call down that'll stir up worship, right? That'll that'll um, make us make us feel tingly, um, but rather the right and just uh, subject of our worship, our prayer, our praise, and our song, right? It should all have a trinitarian shape. The Holy Spirit, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Amen. Amen. And and I wonder if. Um, uh, if there is an imbalance in the way we praise, mm. um, do we praise the Holy Spirit? Um, but the Gloria Patri helps us do that, right? By saying, um, glory be to the Holy Spirit as well. Yeah. And man, I have, I have really monologued hard here, Christopher, and I'm super sorry. So do you have any closing thoughts on this matter? No, let's, let's uh, close in prayer. Let's do it. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, that the course of this world may be so peaceably ordered by your providence that your church may joyfully serve you in quiet confidence in godly peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week, Christopher. <laughs>